Hey everybody, this is Ari in the Air. I'm a professional paraglide pilot, highliner, skier, adventure athlete. I'm also a filmmaker and podcaster. This is my podcast. It's a space for me to speak my mind. And today I'm talking about the climate strike. I'm talking about Greta Thunberg and the millions of people around the world who have organized peacefully to protest about the state of our climate and demanding certain actions. Some of this stuff inspires me and other parts of it make me cringe. I want to tell you about what's inspiring, what I believe in, and I'm also going to talk about the parts that I think they're missing and how they can have more impact and what our what I believe our best practices are to making these kind of changes a reality. Okay? So we're going to be talking about picking apart the progress from the politics, how this movement is being hijacked by the government and the establishment. We're going to be talking about a real look at renewable energy and some case studies from around the world. And we're going to be looking at the things that this would actually look like uh, or how it would actually look like if we were to achieve such ambitious goals. Okay? Thanks for being here. Here we go. begin, the youth climate strike is really a beautiful thing in theory, right? It is started by Greta Thunberg, I would say, or how I've understood it. It kind of started with Greta Thunberg, who's this 12 or 13-year-old girl who made the speech at the UN talking about how the state of our climate is an absolute crisis and an utter emergency and... Although I don't necessarily agree with the tactic of alarmism in general, I think that it was probably a, or it was certainly a sensational delivery and a passionate message for which I applaud her immensely. And I would also say that about 93% of what she says I agree with fully the types of things that she's talking about are uh, three things that she said today in a video that's been going totally viral, which is, one, we need to protect nature and we need to be restore places that have been out of balance. And three, we need to fund the technologies and the processes in which we restore parts of our 
natural world so that our climate can come back into symbiosis on its own. And I essentially agree with every part of that. But the technicalities of how we do that is really important. The mechanism by which we do that is really important. If you've listened to my podcast at all, you know that I like to talk about moral philosophy and the mechanisms of government, and that is certainly a part of this topic. There's no way to divide that. Because the reality is that this movement has been hijacked by socialists and by statists in general. I think that a big flaw in the movement is that essentially most of the call to action is to vote. It is some form of political action. And I'll tell you why I think that's a huge mistake. One, it's because it doesn't work. If government worked to solve our problems, our world would be perfect because we have iterated over and over and over and over and over governments trying to solve our problems and it's never worked and it will never work. Okay? For myriad reasons of which I go into great detail in a number of my other podcasts, maybe try your political views are evil is one of them. Okay, But the other thing is that this call to action of protecting nature, restoring it, and funding the things that would bring it back into symbiosis is being hijacked by other political motives, such as universal health care, the Green New Deal, statism, socialism, all these things are getting thrown into there. And it's like, it's like, if you're a reasonable person who agrees that we want to take care of our natural world and the environment, then you must be in favor of universal health care and the Green New Deal and yada yada socialism policies, which is absolutely not the case. That's why I say that this movement is being hijacked by the establishment. You know that it's hijacked by the establishment because it's so readily accepted by the establishment. If it was drastically threatening to the establishment, then they would squash it. They wouldn't promote it. The, the national news media would avoid it instead of pasting it on their front page, right? It is not currently a challenge to the status quo as it currently is being promoted. And if it was you would see a big pushback by the mainstream media. The reason that it's being picked up by the mainstream media is because with it is carried so much darkness and other stuff, so much political ideology and not a simple and straightforward push for the radical regeneration of our natural world and a reappreciation of it and a care for it by each individual. That is not what's happening, unfortunately. And I think that that is what we want. That is the, I think that in essence, it is what Greta Thunberg wants. And I think in essence, it is what the youth should be calling for. But I think the movement is being hijacked. And maybe worse than being hijacked, maybe the movement was created by the establishment under the guise of environmentalism, while the real motivation is to push political ideologies that really have nothing to do with the environment whatsoever. It is no 
mistake that this comes at perfect timing, a mere 12 months before the political exchange TV show that is the American presidential elections. And that is concerning for me. The other reason that I think that using government to solve this problem is because the government's mechanism is violence at its root. Don't forget, I go into vast detail on that in my podcast, Your Political Views Are Evil, and I highly recommend you listen to it. But the problem with using government to solve problems is myriad, right? And we've seen it all over the world in every form from socialism to fascism to democracy to you name it. Um, Basically, there is corruption, there is bureaucracy, there is, especially in our own system, the short-sightedness of campaign cycles where things are promised in huge abundance and delivered on in maybe not anything at all. So, and also... There's this huge problem that seems to be overlooked, which is, wait, the government is the establishment. It is the thing that we're trying to fight against. If there is subsidies in the wrong place, if there is misuse of our tax dollars, of our corruption, that this huge, gigantic, the world's largest entity, the United States federal government, is not taking care of the needs of the people, which millions of people around the world are rising up to say that their desire is not being, or their views are not being represented accurately in government, then using the government to try to solve that problem seems completely asinine, right? Not to mention that the world's largest polluter is the United States federal government, okay? Our military itself, if it were a country, its fuel use alone, not even talking about its materials or its food or its people, its fuel use alone would land it in the 47th position, as far as countries go, in carbon emissions. That would put it between Peru and Portugal. And... Other governments are exactly the same. The Chinese government is a massive polluter, and thinking that we're going to use governments to solve our climate issues is akin to finding out that your teenage daughter who's had your credit card has racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. It's like asking her to manage and regulate her own spending. That's crazy. No, you take the credit card away from the teenage daughter. You take the power away from the world's largest polluters and the world's largest spenders to say, no, 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 we're going to take our own tax dollars back and we're going to spend money where we think it's appropriate. We need our power back as people. When people march in the streets by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and they're trying to raise their voices to try to get other people to use their money in the way that they would use it, it means that they don't have their fucking power. They need their power back. And you don't get your power back by voting. No. 
Voting is not having power. Voting is, by definition, not having power. If you have to vote, you don't have power. If you can take your dollars and put them where your values are, now that's power. That is power. If a company pollutes and you don't want to buy from that company, you don't want to support them, that then you have power. When a government extracts tax dollars from its people using the backboard of force and does with it whatever it wants, then you know that you have no power. Remember, the United States federal government has taken us $11 trillion into debt and over $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities. They're the world's largest spender at a completely unsustainable rate, and the world is then calling on the government to fix the problem that it in no small way contributed to create. So, if we're going to demand a change, it should be a reduction in government, in its spending, in its consumption, and its existence. Because the utopian future that we're talking about, where our climate comes back into equilibrium, is a future where we have power over our choices and the people become whole once again. They don't need an outside king, a dictator, a president, a government to rule them, right? So, another thing that I have a problem with when people talk about making these kind of changes through the government, which I'm not saying is Greta Thunberg's only call to action, but I am saying it is a huge call to action and it is a problem with the hijacking that we've referred to, is that there is an externalization of responsibility here where people rally and rah, rah, rah against some external thing that is essentially the government, right, here. People are saying... Demanding climate action, demanding the Green New Deal, demanding the universal health care, demanding subsidies being changed. When in reality, they're demanding those things, but asking the teenage daughter with the credit card to manage her own spending instead of demanding their power back and making the changes themselves. Remember Gandhi, that little skinny Indian guy who said, be the change you want to see in the world? Well, that's actually a more profound lesson than most people even realize. Being the change you want to see in the world means if you want the world to be whole, you need to be whole. Which is pretty profound and very difficult. It's difficult as a human to be whole. And I think that the more you work towards being whole, the more the more you will realize how much of an uphill battle it is and how much more reverence you'll have for our own climate and the things that need to take place in every individual's heart, mind, and lives for our collective consciousness and our collective impact to come to a place of positivity rather than negativity. Rather than being uh, consumers we are stewards, right? We're a long way from that in the hearts and minds of the individuals. And 
There's a dangerous, slippery slope that gets tied in with this kind of message, which is catastrophe and alarmism and apocalypse, which basically tells people that the world is a place where they don't belong, where they can't survive, where they can't live. And psychologically, we know that when people are in a state of fear, they tend to bury their heads in the sand rather than take conscious action. So alarmism and apocalypse may not be the best mechanisms psychologically for change here. It's certainly gaining lots of attention, and it's certainly letting everyone say rah, 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 but I don't think it has people doing the level of research that would actually bring them to understanding the contributing factors and the possible solutions at a level that has them empowered as a contributing force to these to these issues as they could be. They end up just deferring their power to the government, deferring their power to Greta Thunberg, deferring their power to other people, to other places who will make changes that will save the planet instead of taking their hydro flask for coffee every day and reducing how much they drive their car and being conscious of the things that they eat and any number of myriad factors that we all as individuals need to take into consideration as to how to limit our own impact and be a positive uh, positive player in the world, not just from a material standpoint, but from a psycho-spiritual standpoint. Okay? The next thing that we need to talk about is a real look at renewable energy because a lot of the message that's coming through, Greta Thunberg talks a lot about how 200 species per day are going extinct and our natural environment is being cut down to grow soybeans and burgers in the Amazon. And there's this, um, there's this, I think uh, what I'm seeing is a bit of confusion as to what's more important, our climate or our environment. And so a real look at renewable energy is of utmost importance. Okay? So when we talk about renewable energy, I think that the problem is that when we say renewable energy, people think wind and solar. Wind and solar. But have you ever noticed that the world's largest oil companies are huge proponents of wind and solar? If these technologies are going to completely disrupt and outdate fossil fuel companies, wouldn't it be strange for said companies to be promoting them? Yes. Yes, it would be strange. And the reason they promote them, wind and solar, is because wind and solar cannot, it will not, and it literally was never designed to power our civilization, and I'll tell you why. Before I get into it, let me just preface this and say that I am not the only person with these kinds of thoughts, and 
there are many people breaking into the mainstream who are saying this message, basically, that wind and solar are destroying the environment at a rate that is unsustainable, that it doesn't work. Okay? And to understand how this works, we have to talk about energy density, we need to talk about reliability, we need to talk about the environment, and we need to talk about nuclear energy and its comparison to these really low-density things like wind and solar. So when we talk about energy density, we're talking about the spectrum of density in our myriad ways of creating electricity. Okay, On one side of the spectrum, we have things that are very diffuse. We have solar power, right? Which to even power your van, you've got to have 25 square foot of solar panels to the top of the van. And that's just to charge your cell phone and run lights and maybe a small refrigerator, right? Going up from there, we have wood and dung, which people have burned for millennia to heat their houses, to cook their food, up to coal, and then starting to get into fossil fuels, oil, natural gas, gasoline. And at the very top of density, the densest, the energy densest materials we know are things like plutonium and uranium. And to give you an idea of the difference in density in these different energy sources, you can imagine that coal is about twice as dense as wood, right? And as far as energy goes. So if you burn a pound of wood, you'll get X amount of energy. If you burn a pound of coal, you'll get twice as much of that, okay? And think about the amount of wood you need to heat a house through the North American winter, just one family-sized house. We're talking three to five cords of wood, right? A cord of wood is, what is the measurement? It's like three feet tall, three feet wide, and six feet deep. It's like a back of a pickup truck completely stacked full three feet tall with chopped firewood. And you're going to need multiple of those to just heat your house. We're not even talking about cooking. We're not talking about charging your things. We're not talking about transportation. Okay? On the far end of that is uranium. And if you imagine... There's so much just like nonsense um, propaganda that has gone into nuclear power. Like if you imagine the Simpsons, he worked, uh, Homer worked in a nuclear power plant, remember? And basically they portrayed the waste as some kind of glowing green goo. But the reality is that American power plants are run on uranium pellets, which are about the size of a pencil eraser. And these pellets are stacked into long rods. And the pellets aren't pure uranium. And 
the rods. Uh, hundreds of these pellets go into the rods, and then basically they'll take these rods and they'll put them into the center of the reactor. They'll close the whole thing up. They'll turn on the reaction. It'll turn water into steam. It'll turn turbines. Steam comes out the top of the power plant and energy is produced. The power plants will run from 18 to 24 months nonstop, 24 hours a day, 365, 18 to 24 months before they'll shut down the reaction, take the fuel out, store it on site in dry casks, and replace the rods, maintain the facility, and close it back up and turn the damn thing on back again, right? So these little pellets of uranium that are the size of a pencil eraser are very, very dense as far as energy goes. One little pencil eraser has about the same energy as 4,000 pounds of wood. 4,000 pounds of wood or a ton of coal, 2,000 pounds of coal or 150 gallons of oil. So one pencil eraser has the same amount of energy as 150 gallons of oil. So if you imagine your entire lifetime consumption of energy per person, the amount of little pellets that you would need for one person for their whole life would be smaller than a pop can. Smaller than a pop can. Imagine the lifetime consumption if you needed to heat a house for a person. Imagine how many stacks of wood, how much of the forest you would have to cut down every year to just heat your house. We're not talking about transportation, but the little soda can of uranium pellets would literally be the entire energy consumption, all of the cooking, all of the heating, all of the transportation that a person would ever need would be smaller than a pop can. So when we talk about the waste of nuclear energy, just know that we're talking about a very small amount of hard, dense material that can be stored on site in dry casks. And that's how nuclear power in this country and around the world works, actually. The Swiss nuclear power plant has run for 45 years and all of its waste is in a single room on site. Okay, so it's very, very dense. On the other hand, you have solar and wind. And I have for a long time argued that solar and wind is good for lessening the need of the grid. It means that you put solar powers on solar panels on your roof, you put a wind turbine on your shed, and that lessens your need to pull power from the grid. But you don't power the grid with solar and wind. And it's because it's such a diffuse energy. And because it's so diffuse, it means that you have to take up huge amounts of land, huge amounts of the environment. You literally have to kill a bunch of animals and take away their their habitats to put up these massive installations of solar panels or wind turbines. And then you have to transmit that power back to the cities, which transmission is costly and estimations are between 8 and 15% 
power is lost from where it's produced to where it's consumed. And if you look at the difference between solar power and nuclear power, we are talking huge, huge differences in the density of land. Okay, so first of all, let's just say that for a solar farm, you need 450 times more land than a nuclear power plant. 450 times. So if you could build a nuclear power plant on 10 acres, you're going to need 450 times that for solar power to produce the same kind of energy. Okay? It's even worse for wind. You need 700 times the land for wind that you do for nuclear. And it would be great, solar and wind, if we had a low population density. If we all lived out in the countryside and we could all have enough room that we could have our own little solar farms and our own little wind farms, that would be fine. But that's not the case. We have really high population density and there's not enough square footage in the cities to paste solar panels on every surface for it to actually power the city. We have to have denser power sources than that. And the problem with having huge amounts of acres dedicated to solar power and wind power is that it takes the environment. We're literally cutting down trees to put up solar panels, right? So what Greta Thunberg is saying of we have to protect our natural environment that takes carbon out of the air and stores it as a plant, like we can't cut down all the forest to put up solar power. We're we can cut down a small amount of forest to put up a nuclear power plant so that it cranks out crazy amounts of energy through 24/7 365, but when the sun goes down the solar powers the solar panels stop working. When the wind stops blowing, the wind turbines stop running and at night is when humanity turns on the lights. It's when they turn on the heat. That's when we literally need the power the most. It's another reason why wind and solar are just unreliable and unrealistic, unsustainable power sources. It just doesn't work. Not to mention that solar power, to build solar power, you need 17 times more material than nuclear energy. Like literally, if you've ever seen a wind turbine up close, the thing is 300 feet tall. It is massive. They are crazy huge. They're crazy huge. They take so much material to build, right? Another problem with solar is that there's no plan in place for us to deal with all of the used solar panels. Solar panels have a lifespan between 20 and 25 years. They are electronics. And it's basically like when you're done with your iPhone, what do you do with your iPhone? Well, currently, basically our used electronics are being shipped to poor countries where people are taking them apart by hand, exposing them to elemental toxins like cadmium and chromium, which because they're elements, they never lose their toxicity. They're toxic forever. 
So we're not quite sure what to do with those things. There are also huge environmental impacts of taking up so much land and having either huge spans of solar panels, or in California, they use mirrors for a lot of these. And there are huge environmental impacts on this kind of stuff. So first of all, you have to clear so much land to make a solar power plant. So much land. And the desert, although most people think that nothing lives in the desert, there is abundant life in the desert. And as you use a bulldozer to clear the land, you kill the turtles, you kill the tortoises, you kill the bunnies, the hares, the sage, the sage grouse, you kill the hawks, you kill the eagles, you kill everything that's in there. And if you don't kill it, you displace it. Then, once the power plant is up and running, in California, there's a number of these mirrored power plants, which are much more efficient than just having a bunch of solar panels on the ground. The mirrors basically reflect the sun's light up to a central receiving tower that takes all the energy and uses it more efficiently. But basically what you have is you have, imagine you have 50 acres of mirrors shining all of their light and focusing it on one spot. Then basically a bird flies by. The moment the bird comes into that field of that concentrated light, they literally burst into flames. And each one of these solar farms, they say that 6,000 birds a year are flying into this thing and bursting into fucking flames and falling to their deaths. Like, holy shit, dude. So if we're trying to save the animals, if we're trying to save the planet, if we're trying to fix the climate, we can't just destroy the environment. We can't do it. Who? No. So we have to have real solutions that work. Nuclear power is something that people are going to have to take a much harder look at because it has been slandered and propagandized. And this is another point that when I say that the movement has been hijacked, this is what I'm talking about. The movement of saving the planet to promote solar and wind. Solar and wind literally keeps you addicted to fossil fuels because at night you got to turn the coal burning plant back on. In Germany, in 2011, their chancellor, Angela Merkel, who I have great disdain for, for myriad reasons, she promoted there, she uh, made this big plan called uh, something EnviroWind or something, and their plan was between 2011 and 2025 to invest $580 billion into wind and solar power. Power. They also invested in biomass, which is like natural gas. And they went away from nuclear energy. What happened was basically it was a huge failure because Germany's carbon footprint has been at a complete plateau since 2009, meaning that they invested $600 billion into air quotes 
renewable energies and their carbon footprint has not gone down at all because what happened was they found out that the sun goes down and the wind stops blowing and they have to use the coal burning plant to power their civilization. And remember, Germany is as technologically advanced and economically advanced as countries get. They are up there. They're, out, they're the Audis and the Porsches and the Volkswagens, remember? So, on top of that, Germany's price for energy went up 50% from 2011 till now. And their carbon footprint has not gone down, not one drop. And their coal-burning plants are back on. And now they're proposing that they tear down this ancient forest and bulldoze this, this uh, old church so that they can get to the coal that's beneath it because their whole renewable energy plan failed because it was romantic. It wasn't real world. On the other hand, you have France. France powers its civilization 93% by nuclear energy. And if you could imagine France going from nuclear energy, where they pay less than half the cost for their energy than Germany does, if they were to switch to wind and solar, you could imagine that their carbon footprint go way up. Way up. So, I don't want to kill all the birds. I don't want to kill all the tortoises. I don't want to trade the environment for the climate, and I don't think you should either. I think we need actual, really dense energy sources. We can't have the diffuse ones, otherwise we'll cover our planet in solar panels. Literally. The opening scene of Blade Runner, this new Blade Runner, is like this dystopian scene where... The whole world is covered in these solar panels, these solar farms. We don't want that. We don't want that. As far as the safety of nuclear energy, the Department of Labor says that it's safer to work at a nuclear power plant than it is to work at a fast food restaurant, at a grocery store, or in real estate. <laughs> kind of funny, right? Remember all of the... Fuel that is in American nuclear reactors is stored on-site in dry casks, and it doesn't take up huge amounts of space because it is that dense. Remember, your entire lifetime's worth of energy is smaller than a pop can, and we can store a pop can per person on-site at nuclear reactors. No problem, folks. No problem. There are problems with our nuclear power, don't get me wrong, it is an imperfect solution, but remember that the United States federal government basically held the world's greatest scientists at gunpoint and said, produce us a nuclear bomb, that was the Manhattan Project, and the technology kind of spilled over and made our reactors that we have today. The future reactors will be safer all the time, even though they are so safe right now, 
Nuclear is literally the safest clean energy and the only clean energy that does not emit any kind of carbon into the atmosphere. The only byproduct of fission is steam as it is cooled using water. And it is literally the safest form of clean energy. If you talk about the people who die building wind turbines, solar, all this stuff, this statistic that I'm using is provided by the World Health Organization. And they say that nuclear is the absolute safest clean energy. So, I would love to save the environment, the world, the climate, and humanity. And I am not willing to save the climate and destroy the environment. And I'm not willing to save the climate and to trade off human freedom of travel, of our diets, of our industries, of our growth, of our families. We want freedom. We want to limit violence. We all have a responsibility in this. We cannot externalize our responsibility to the government. We have to come to very real terms with our own impacts and not hate ourselves for them, not loathe ourselves for them. Remember that if you feel yourself hating something outside of yourself, the outside world is just a mirror for what's happening inside of yourself. So if there's hatred and disdain and shame for the way that humanity has behaved, just remember that that is hatred and disdain for yourself and your place. And we need to deal with those things on a psycho-spiritual level as well as dealing with them as far as our material and energy impacts that we have in our lives. Okay? So... To close, I would say that I would encourage you to be involved in this movement and I would pray that you steer the movement in the right direction of real solutions that are not contaminated with the politics of socialism and universal health care and all these other things and they're not just meant to promote unrealistic solutions like wind and solar, and they're not meant to create bigger and bigger governments that have a more tyrannical hold on our lives and our decisions, but that we would actually be able to move forward in some kind of unity, in some kind of wholeness inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves that would bring us some kind of advancement progress right i hope that for you and i hope that for me let me know what you think about this share it with your friends i'm airy in the air you can find me at airy in the air at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts thanks so much for tuning in today you guys take care till the next episode peace